I just gotta focus on what I can do here. I got a job to do with the group. Our group has responded um, in the past. I thought we were responding well here today. You thought we were, you thought you were responding well? Oh. That was Sheldon Keefe responding to a point blank question about his job security and whether he's thinking about it. I hate to say I told us so, but I told us so. After game one, after game one of the season, I went on Leafs talk with Justin Bourne and I said, 10 games into this season, the Leafs are 500. Is the noise going to kick up about Sheldon Keefe's job security? And people said, you're a madman, JD. The Pete Walkers of the world, the apologists of the world said, there's no way. Man, Leafs apology Twitter been crickets. <laughs> a lot of crickets on old Leafs apology Twitter these days. L- a lot of silence I've noticed from my friend Pete Walker in the group chats about his beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, People said you're crazy, JD. You can't talk about Sheldon Keefe's job security after 10 games. That's nutso. And yet here we are 10 games in. By the way, I predicted the Leafs being 500 after 10 games. That if that was the scenario, things were going to be hot. Well, it's hotter. It's pretty damn hot. Justin Cuthbert, thanks for sticking around. Um, (laughs) I couldn't listen to you guys this morning, but... I would imagine, like, a lot of your conversations, that's what we do here, mm. centered around this exactly. I'm, I'm torn about it because, I, like, I don't see this as a Keefe issue. I do see it as a guy that doesn't appear to be helping anything, which is bad for him, right? Mm. If you're not pulling in the direction, then what are you doing? At this point, you're in a really tough spot. But holy hell, like, the amount of issues with this team right now are, I don't know, dozens is there something about this team that you like right now well you just said dozens so whose problem is it if it's dozens well yeah that's very clear like it's uh, i'm i'm in your camp in that again i can't (laughs) peter is gonna speak today (laughs) he will account for his sins (laughs) get ready yeah Uh, i just can't i can't really blame this all on keith as well of course not i think he's failing this test this test miserably Mm -hmm. this test being okay, you've got Mitch Marner who is like fully and completely in his feelings and not dealing with pressure or anything really well right now. Like other times. Like, yeah. Like every other time. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like that's an issue. And I I feel like, I feel like he's lost the room to a certain degree because they're not responding. He came out so hot. It does, it feels like there's an obvious divide between him and what's going on, but that is his job to bridge the gap there. Mm -hmm. And I think he's failing to do that. But as... If you want to rank the three, players, management, coaching, in terms of issues, actual issues. You said it in the order I agree in. I think coaching is last. Yeah. Would you have players, management, coach? Yeah. Yeah. Players, management, coach. I, I mean, you could tie. And I think it's really close up, up for yeah. one, two. The front two are, it's the chicken and egg. You're yeah. going, I don't know which one of these two to blame more. This is not a poor Sheldon Keefe in some regard, right? Because it really does seem that everything this guy says is kind of bang on when he tries to assess the group honestly. When he's allowed to be honest. Yeah, when he's honest in his 
I wouldn't say quiet moments, but I bet you in his quiet moments, when he's alone, when he vents his frustrations about this team, who do you think has a better pulse of the situation, him or the players right now? Um, I'm going to guess it's Sheldon Keefe. Mm-hmm. When we, I, I bring this up all the time, but watching that Amazon series, I was incredibly impressed by Keefe. I just thought that there were moments that were tough for him, specifically the media thing right out of the gate at the very beginning of the season. He seems to be a guy that gets very bothered by media narrative or what the media is saying. But why is that? Is it because everyone else is bothered by it? No, I think, I think it might be that, but to me, if I have to guess, dude, it's, this is what happens when you're a first time head coach in an era like this. And you've known nothing but really success. Mm -hmm. And you got to remember Sheldon Keefe too, when he was a younger guy, felt a lot of pressure and criticism about him as like a person. And I wonder how that has like manifested into his version of him today, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of being defensive of his character, being defensive of his ability, like, yeah, his junior hockey stuff, you try to forget and you try to leave in the past. I'm not bringing it up for any other reason other than to say, you got to think about how it creates a person. Right. So with this right now and with that Amazon series, I thought Keith had a lot of really good observations about the group. I think that when he had something to say, he used his words wisely. I thought that his speeches that he gave during the playoffs that we got a, a view into were good ones. I don't really have an issue with him. I actually believe that he should be a coach somewhere else someday. He should absolutely get another shot. Here's where he's clearly failing. One, um, he and Marner are clearly at odds. Oh, yeah. Like last night, it, it couldn't have been more obvious. And hey, you've gone head to head with one of the team stars. I I just don't see that being like a star wins. Yeah. And I don't see that relationship looking like it's going to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't think that he's he's like in the position of a parent where they go and try to threaten violence now where you're like, oh, and the kid's like, yeah, but I'll just call the cops. And the parent's like, oh, damn, you learned that trick now. You learned the call the cops trick. That's where Keith is at. He's the right. powerless parent where the kid knows the rules. And I also just think that even some of the coaching decisions at this point just reek of desperation. He's doing too much. And you look at it and go, okay, man, uh, this, is clearly, this is clearly the end of the line for you. Yeah, he's been grasping at it since night one here. Yeah. And that's, that's really the issue. And so why is he in this situation? It's interesting because he felt like the one who was less on the hot seat than really anyone. When, oh, I didn't feel when that we, it, When we went to media day, it was like, okay, clearly Dubas is wearing it. Last dance, last chance for him. The guys or the players obviously are feeling that. But Keefe had a little bit of leeway. He had a couple more years on his contract. He at least had some insurance oh. that way. And he felt at least more calm than the other guys. But now it's flipped completely. I mean, his confidence is completely shot. I know. He was like that from the moment this team dropped the puck on this season, and he's been grasping. He's been looking for something desperate, changing this, changing that, and he still won't do the things that make maybe the most sense, which would be elevating David Camp. But or how about splitting up Matthews and Marner well, what, for like one second, and, and that show just, a little bit of power, and that just, just see underscores it. everything, right? Yeah. It underscores everything that those two guys, that mm-hmm. partnership, is above anything else. Yep. And the Leafs right now, and this is what we talked about earlier today, have an authority problem. Sheldon Keefe has lost his authority. I don't know if Kyle Dubas has any authority. Can he make a move? Can he do anything? He's maxed out at 50 contracts. He might be able to fire Sheldon Keefe, but that's his guy. He's admitting that he's done if he does that. So anyone with power is either above Kyle Dubas and like they can't really do anything right now other than get rid of one of those two guys, Mm -hmm. or you're one of the players who are a 
the biggest part of the problem right now because they're not uh, they're not performing. Yeah. I the other part of I was thinking about this last night on Leafstock. I I discussed it pretty briefly with Sammy was okay, let's say you do fire Sheldon Keefe and you bring in Barry Trotz. So now that means that Shanahan has agreed to give Barry Trotz a contract of multiple years for a bunch of money, which if you're, and this just gets to the point you're making about, they already have a power dynamic problem where, where is the power? Now all of a sudden you have a head coach who has more say within the organization than a general manager who doesn't have a contract. Right. Like now you're just what, then you're deciding that this is just simply Barry Trotz's team. Does he get to tell Kyle Dubas what he wants at that point? Does he get to tell them who does he gets replace to Kyle Dubas? He I, wants to get an upper no, front office. Yeah, like, just, are you going to, uh, is that the bet? Is that the bet from Shanahan that a guy who's never done no. it before is going to run this team? all Shanahan the Shanahan loves Dubas and this has to be killing him right oh, yeah. now oh, yeah. because he is definitely a guy with two different things on the mind. Everybody who remembers how Brandon Shanahan played has to be, he has to be dying watching them give these efforts. How do you think Brendan Shanahan, the player, would be responding to some of the efforts from the Toronto Maple Leafs on the ice right now? Well, like if he's in that dressing room. It's one of the most ironic things. Yeah. Because this team is full Dubas and anti Shanahan in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like this is a one note team. This is a team that can't survive if it's star players don't play like star players because there's nothing of substance below no. them. And this is the Kyle Dubas thing. This is Kyle Dubas's team. Like more than more so than through. any other year through and through to the last position on the roster, it's what Kyle Dubas would prefer. And we're seeing the cracks in his own personal view of hockey laid out in front of us right now yeah. because they have no safety net. There's nothing There's nothing below the four forwards, so that leaves you eight forwards who need to do something. Three of which he inherited, by the way. It's funny that the entire he identity... brought in the whole team. Yeah, the identity of Kyle Dubas has been these stars that the team was tanking for mm-hmm. ahead of his tenure as general manager. It's a very narrow, narrow viewpoint on how to view hockey, mm. and it's very limited, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that his view of hockey is limited because, yes, and I got I fell victim to this as well. I looked at that roster. I'm like, wow, Zach Aston Reese, really good defensive forward on your fourth line. Like, that's pretty impressive. But these guys can't do much more than break even. And if you're relying on those eight of your forwards to break even and the other guys don't do anything, you're not going to win many hockey games. Well, it's also fine. And a lot of these teams are built on star players at the top and then trying to find the rest of the depth. But this is really in why I put players one. We know the Leafs can be fine. We know that they can be a talented group, but when is that the case? It's when the stars dominate. Mm-hmm. And so far this season, we have not seen an engaged Austin Matthews to the point where people have tried to bring up a potential small cross check as like injuring him as to why he's not performing the way that he is. Yeah. He doesn't look like he's engaged in the play. He doesn't look like he's engaged on the bench. He doesn't look like a guy who cannot tolerate any more of this, right? Does Mitch Marner look like that to you? Tavares has in moments, I think that Tavares has been the most consistent player of the top four, but it's pretty clear that Tavares has always been a leader by example and that there is a, 
I don't want to say a divide in the room, but that Tavares is not the leader that walks in there and sets the tone with his words and mm-hmm. tells them that, hey, there. he's also not good enough anymore. This is like, he's awesome, but I don't think that he's a good enough or great enough player to be able to go out there and just dominate on his own and have everyone just fall in line and go, okay, this guy's setting the example. And I actually think Nylander has been kind of fine this season. He's looked like better than I would say the other two, mm-hmm. but it also hasn't just been utter dominance from him. It's been fleeting moments. Well, I think it's fair to criticize John Tavares beyond just what he's done on the ice and the points that he's put up. Like, he, yeah, he's had a good start to the season, but if a player under your watch and you're the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs and you suggest that doesn't come with responsibility of course it is does. asinine. Your job is to make sure that that team is running smoothly, that there is a bridge between the coach and the players. And clearly, that bridge is on fire right now. Mm-hmm. And John Tavares doesn't have the personality, I don't think, to step in and try to fix the situation. I think he's sort of a passenger in that regard. And you're the captain yep. of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You can't be a passenger. He's been great on the ice. But, like, clear, like, is that happening with Jonathan Tay's early 2010s? No, and I think that this is why it's pretty. It's always been pretty clear to me that Matthews has been the captain in terms of being the best player mm-hmm. because sometimes teams go one or two directions with it, right? Matthews is the best player on the team. He's the identity player of the team, and a lot of teams go with that as the captain. Or you're the guy who's been around and is also good, which is Morgan Riley. Yes. And that's what's always been weird about Tavares' captaincy is that it's always felt like, okay, cool, you were sort of promised this to come to Toronto, but it doesn't really make sense in the dressing room ecosystem other no. than the fact that you were the guy that had accomplished more before the other guys. Morgan Riley is the one that he's says the, things. He's the merit guy. Yeah, and, and Riley is the one even yesterday who said, hey, you know, we as the players, and again, these are post-game hockey quotes, right? So you have to kind of pick between them like the Riley comments went hockey viral yesterday and he all he said was we the players need to assume responsibility I'm going because well, it's because everything else is so is, disingenuous though. I know well yeah you hear even poor Keith this is why I feel so bad for Keith too is now like he again he can't speak honestly he's mm-hmm. so screwed if he says anything he knows it's going to be blown out of proportion it's going to carry until Wednesday and so what does he say in that post game he says i thought we started to respond well there you go man that ducks team is horrific they've got a goaltender that's letting in five a game they're the worst defensive team in hockey maybe other than you actually maybe other than your group because you guys can't defend a lick you've got crawl back there and justin hall way over his head and i'm sorry but morgan riley continuously getting just murdered in his own end all season long yep. like what what is the positive thing from the least blue line so far this season i guess sandine has had a couple of decent moments looked but, better with riley that's like the that's the only positive yeah and it's, it's large i mean it's across the board negative he also got completely bullied on saturday night yes. rasmus sandine in the game changing moment where you went oh right um that's not really good. Like That's not exactly what you need right now from your blue line. He just, what's he supposed to say? He goes out there and tries to kind of back his group, tries to put a little bit of, I don't know, water on the fire, but it just doesn't appear to be working. I just, it's, this is not like last year. I know that those guys keep saying we struggled last year, which is also kind of funny because you go, why are you doing this again? Have you not tried to learn your lessons to show up a little bit more engaged? This just feels way more desperate, and they should know that when you roll a group over, when you decide to say, you know what, we're not making any significant changes, then you don't just get to leave the past in the past the same way as other teams do. And this is the consequence, and this was the fear of a lot of people who thought, you know what, you had to stick to your guns on if you got 
out in the first round of the playoffs that you needed to do something of consequence. They did it. They're here. And now they have to live with the ghosts. And now they have to deal with it much difficult. Like it is way different than last year for a variety of reasons. But the NHL is different too. The mm. NHL is far more competitive this year than it was last year. The Washington Capitals were a pretty bad team last year. and They finished with over 100 points. Maple Leafs were like they had serious issues. I think that's actually still one of their best things. Is I don't look at the I don't look. At I think it's better. Game. You think it's better? It's definitely better. Because when I, I'm watching on a nightly basis, and you know, I like to sprinkle mm-hmm. a lot of bets down. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I somehow get bored despite you know it's bad. It's just like you're like oh, I got like a hundred bets, and I'm like yeah, let's, what's one more on the pile? Let's <laughs> fire one more on the pile. I haven't been feeling the whole like other than the Bruins start. Yeah, Bruins look great. Bruins look great. Although I, I swear think to God, the Leafs are going to beat the, the brakes middle. off them Saturday night, and it's going to change. It. It's I swear to God, that's well, going to happen. If you ever need it, I mean, that would be the remedy. That would be the tonic, right? Yeah. If you could beat the Bruins, then maybe that's something. Well, that's maybe your your launch point. It's like have a lackluster win against Philly, where you barely squeak by, and people don't give them any credit for it because mm-hmm. they barely beat Philly, and then go into Saturday night with all the pressure, all the talk. And then beat the brakes off the Bruins, and then all of a sudden things calm down. Well, that's a the bit. thing. Like it could actually work because this team is so fragile. It runs on emotion <sighs> so much, which is it's honestly striking how much they seem to be affected by just the way the wind blows. Dude. And if they did have a positive outing against the Boston Bruins, I would not be surprised if it launched them on a nice little run. But this was a team that last year could not lose. Sub 900 goaltending could not lose. They could like it was. You're watching them. You're like they gotta lose eventually. But they just kept rhyming off these victories in what was, I think, a lesser NHL. And I think good teams are coming back to the pack. Mm. And I think mediocre teams are getting a little bit better. And like every night, it's I think that part. I just think they're gonna be in the like if they're if they're at their best. I think it's about 105 points. Just because I think it's a different league. They're. I, I don't think that they're hitting that. I don't think that they're no. And they're not. They're not at their best. Yeah. I don't think that they're hitting that this season. Um, it feels like 2020, which was, okay, coaching change. 100%. 1920, 19, 1920, where coaching change. But then you also you also encounter the realization where you're not that good. Yeah. And when I think they went it, into the deadline as partial sellers exactly. that had they gotten but first they didn't for Barry. do anything. If they had just done something. Yep. You know what I mean? Like Kyle Dubas has never. Oh, they did something, actually. They traded away Mason Marchment. Yes. There you go. That's another. That's that, was another their, that was their 2020 deadline was they decided to go get Malgin, load up. <laughs> yeah. Go get Dennis Just Malgin. Not even a half measure, like a quarter measure. Who's the same size as Pete. <laughs> <laughs> He's, but Kyle, Kyle Dubas has never made the step back move. No. He's never made the, okay, let's replenish a little bit move. Everything's been about emptying the cupboards to try and get better. And the, the, if he had identified then, hey, we can make a couple moves here to retool, mm-hmm. he might be in a better spot. But instead, they're trading away first-round picks to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. And trading away first round picks to get Nick Felino. Like they just, Dubas has never made a conscious move to just reset a little bit. See, I don't blame him for that other than 2020 because 2020 was 2020 clear. Was 2020, the they lost to David Ayers and it should have been a signifier of where oh, this yeah. group was at. And then I, I want to say right before the deadline, was that the last game or there was one more where they ended up winning? I can't remember exactly how it ended up going. It was going, California there too, yeah. where it was just like they got Bad. exposed on the road. It was so obvious that they needed to move off of Tyson Berry and that he was doing nothing for them. And apparently he wouldn't settle for moving him for a second round pick. Should have done it. Probably should have fielded offers on a couple more guys. And instead, again, it was the only move that gets made was um, Mason Marchman out the door. And I think that was also the year they got Nick Patan. So that's 
or maybe that was the year before, but either way, those back-to-back deadlines where they went Malgan Patan as, don't worry, these are, these are the guys that are actually being overlooked in the NHL, is these guys. It's like the one thing happens with Jonathan Marcheseau, and I guess Dubas saw that and thought and got it somehow stuck in his brain that this was going to be one of the defining things of his era, that he was going to be able to identify the small skill guy that was going to rack up 65, 75 points. Um, didn't work out. That's the only time I really criticize him for that. Um, boy, I... He always prioritized that guy, though. Like, it's actually worth going through the last five years and just looking at the type of player that the Leafs have let walk. And yeah. we, we talked about how easy it is to play against them. Guys that they've let go in the last five years, Kadri, Hyman, Trevor Moore, Connor Brown, Mason Marchman, Carl Grundstrom. Like, if those were part mm-hmm. of your bottom six, you're a much more difficult team to deal with right now. And again, you have to pay Hyman. You got to pay Kadri, or at least you had to pay Kadri this past summer. But he has always prioritized the Malgan over Marchman. Mm-hmm. And it is such, it is a one, a narrow-minded, as I was mentioning, look at things. And something that has basically backed them into a corner here is that viewpoint of hockey. Dude, to the point where people are waiting for a 19-year-old kid to come out of college in Matthew Nyes and be the physical identity of the group up front. And guess what? He's like the only person Kyle Dubas has drafted that there might be hope for. Well, yeah, all the rest of the guys, it's like, you know, again, Pete Pete loves them because he's like, hey, uh, they're over in Finland and they're three years away, but they're going to be great. (laughs) Pete, okay, I'm I'm bringing you in here because Pete Walker, my boy on the show, he has been like heated with me behind closed doors um, in his defense of Kyle Dubas and his defense of like the way this team is going and the way this team is trending. And I said it like... I, I think that right now, if you're looking at the way things are going with, no, this is fine, you're, you've lost your mind. You're fully in the cult. Like, you're fully <laughs> drinking Kool-Aid. Like, I don't know what else there is to say about this. Like, what, what's, where are you at right now? No cool. spin, just where are you at? Where are you at watching this, buddy? Um, well, J.D., you might be right about that. Like, I might be drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, so you're still in? Well, yeah, I'm definitely still in. No, definitely I, still I don't in. mean Nothing as a Leaf changed, fan. I don't you know? mean as a Leaf fan. I just mean, like, believing in... What this team in is doing. In my take of, like, long-term, it's going to be okay. Like, this team's built properly. Yeah. Like, I was looking at the last year's playoff roster mm-hmm. and who we lost and who's on the team now. Mm-hmm. And we lost Mikheyev and Campbell mm-hmm. and Labushkin, maybe. Like, if you want to count him, like, maybe should have re-signed him. But, uh, yeah, I did see a comment online today, and it was like, we could have had it all, and we blew it. And that kind of, like, made my stomach sink because it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, what if... Like, this isn't going to work, you know? Like, what if the Shanna plan has failed, you know? Yeah, but see... And this so is I started a... thinking about that recently. Yeah. See, this is what I think. There you go. But here's, here's the thing. There's two parts of this. This I think this is the most disliked Toronto Maple Leafs team I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, I genuinely can't remember a group that's been... I never... Maybe it's because I'm old enough to remember not getting texts, but... I also don't remember ever getting texts of, I hate this team as frequently as I've gotten with this Leafs group. But part of that, and I, I outlined this yesterday on Leafs Talk, so I'm kind of doubling down on a take, but it's because this has been a fan base that, for the most part, has never even gotten hope. Mm-hmm. It's been a fan base that, for the most part, goes, you can't hurt me because I don't even think about winning. Like, I never thought about winning in 2013 when they went out and got Phil Kessel. It was, oh, my God, these guys are doing this, ex- or sorry, earlier than that. But, I, like, I never thought about winning in 2013 when they blew that lead. I never thought about winning when they brought in Brian Burke and they immediately traded for Phil Kessel, and you went, what is he doing? <laughs> like, what is happening here? I, 
the last time I can remember having hope about the Toronto Maple Leafs was before the salary cap. Like, mm-hmm. before the salary cap went in, and they had those teams from the early aughts, and they would make a big run at big-name players before trade deadlines where they would go, yep, we're going to bring in Brian Leach. We're going to bring in Owen Nolan. We don't care about the money. We don't care about draft picks. We act like a big boy organization that doesn't win, but this is the way that things get done here. It has been salary cap era. Started off with Eric Lindros and Jason Allison. No one thought those teams were winning. Like, who who was trying to squint and think that that was going to... Yeah, maybe you, <laughs> yeah, optimistic. See, I, you were four years thinking, old. You, no, no, you were, they were going to win. You're not yeah. even allowed to talk about those teams. You no, were four JD, years old. I was, you were four. The, I was at the game. Yeah, I think it was against there. the Florida Panthers. Bouncing um, on your dad's knee. Yeah, bouncing on my dad's <laughs> knee <laughs> as a 12-year-old boy. I know, yeah. um, but, like... No. I think they were chanting Fire Wilson. It was the Fire Wilson yeah. game. And then, like, Brian Burke came out and said, uh, I don't want him to ever coach another game here or, like, yeah. or have him you go know through what? that. That's the lesson that Kyle Dubas should be learning right now for Sheldon Keefe is going, hey, before I completely torch this guy's ability to ever coach again, yeah. maybe I should actually let him go even if I do show him love. Anyways, my point here is that part of why Leaf fans are so pissed is that, and why some of them still are clinging on to this in desperation despite any evidence to the contrary. Like, there really isn't much. You get to point to regular season successes and Austin Matthews scoring a ton of goals in over the last couple of years. It's like, okay, Marner putting up points. I don't know what else people are really pointing to with this group. Like, now when you step back and you look at it in its totality in terms of the successes and the failures, like, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. It's, it's like, it's really not a lot of successes. But... It's because of the hope. It's because everyone wanted them to tear it down. Everyone wanted them to build it up and through the draft. Everyone was sick and tired of the continuation of finishing ninth and finishing 10th and going out and getting the Martin Gerbers of the world so that he pushed the record into a place where you couldn't get a draft pick. You know, they were sick of that. No more losing uh, the last game of the season on the hands of the Islanders Devils game to miss a playoff spot. Tear it down to build it back up. They tore it down, and as they build it back up, everyone in hockey goes, this might be the most special core that any team in the NHL has. They Mm -hmm. drew comparisons to the Blackhawks before they won a playoff series. Their best playoff series still to date, and I guess we should count Tampa as number one, but number two is still Washington, the very first year they did it. And that's it. These guys got everything before they did anything, and it has festered into a type of entitlement that everyone that watches hockey and everyone that's around hockey has been able to identify. And any time that it's been said out loud, people are afraid of social media's pushback because there's basically a bunch of like 17 to 24-year-olds that basically have like not watched any hockey outside of this team that have attached their identities to this team (laughs) that have decided that like this is who they are as people is Kyle Dubas's success and for whatever reason that has like terrified hockey observers to the core to speak openly and honestly about this group at times when in actuality again it has been a cataclysmic failure it has shattered people's hope and it has I think at this point become one of, if not the most hated team in recent Toronto Maple Leafs memory for a team that has not won a Stanley Cup since 1967. Like, it's a daunting and heavy reality for a Leaf fan right now. 
Yeah, JD, uh, I do remember that Capital Series, and I remember at the end <laughs> yeah, of Game Six, we all do. The Leafs fans like gave a standing ovation to the team, yeah. even though we just oh, lost yeah. the series because it was symbolized like the future, you know. Buddy, they've and been was, getting that ever since. That was a really nice moment. You know? There was hope then. I know there was hope, hope then. then. Yeah. I'm just, of course, I felt hope then. That was an incredible series. Yeah. Kapanen scores that for, that overtime winner, and you're thinking this group, it's going to be a something. And all I can help but think is that. Still to this day, that what happens if Dubis takes the Colorado job? It's such a huge ripple effect because then Sackick isn't in Colorado. Dubis is there. You don't know how that ends up going. Like, maybe it's fine. I think Dubis has, again, got some attributes of a good general manager, um, even though, again, the track record is pretty sparse and he does get a lot of credit from his fans, despite like, again, a lot of show me the wins, basically like show me the wins to the draft, show me the wins to the trades, show me the wins on the like record on the resume in the playoffs. But I'll always wonder what happens if Lou gets to sign those deals. Mm-hmm. And I know Lou made bad ones. I know Lou gave Zaitsev too much. The Marlowe contract immediately, I could not stand. I couldn't believe that the Leafs gave him that third year, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone knew that was horrific. And the idea that you were going to be able to just trade that away because the money was eaten up in a flat cap or in a league where the salary cap doesn't skyrocket every year. Like this isn't the NFL. Like this isn't the NBA where Mm -hmm. you can kind of project forward and go, Oh, well that 6.5 on a cap is actually going to be like three on the cap in a couple of years. No, 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 no. This is the NHL. That was always going to be six, five for Patrick Marlowe. I still think that he doesn't buckle on those contracts the same way. And I still think that a big issue with this team and one of the big, like, apples in the garden of I love how we're talking about this team like it's all over but uh, but <laughs> I think that one of the apples of the garden of Eden still to this day is changing up the the hierarchy of power that Justin was talking about earlier it, it was very clear it was Lou at the top it or sorry it was Shanahan and Lou and then it was Babcock they had their coach that was supposed to be there to get rid of the blue and white disease and then it was the players and then they flipped off of that they went to Dubas midstream and Dubas immediately became hey how's everyone feeling today it's on you guys. We can and we will. Don't worry about it, guys. Like, you will get paid whatever the hell you want. They took them to the cleaners, and from that standpoint on, it's flipped into exactly what people say it is, which is inmates running the asylum. Lamorella was kind of the Jenga piece that create, caused it to fall over. Like, yeah. he, when it when he was there, you could kind of bridge the gap between Babcock and Dubas and Shanahan, and it all could work. There wasn't this group thing where everyone's just, like, you know, worshiping at the Kyle Dubas altar. <laughs> But the difference is... Pete is in shambles right now. <laughs> the Because diff- he knows. He's waking up. Honestly, Pete is the guy that in the movie, in the, in the cult movie, <laughs> like, it's like where they're slowly starting to question it. Like, did you guys watch Under the Banner of Heaven? No. I don't oh, it's really it good. It's really good. It's an Andrew Garfield movie about the Mormon church. It's a book that's written. And he's like a Mormon cop who is investigating... Uh, crimes in the Mormon community and the deeper he goes the more he's starting to see some of the like hypocrisies of, of his faith I mean, that's what, and that's he's having a saying. crisis of faith as he's investigating it that's Pete you're Andrew Garfield bro <laughs> you're, I'm cool with that. you're I'm Andrew, okay Garfield. Andrew Garfield yeah, you, gotta look like him. you gotta look like him you know what though uh, I don't I'm not gonna uh, I'll spoil a little bit because it's a book I don't yeah, care go ahead yeah it's not like he stops being a Mormon you know, like yeah. he has a crisis of faith and maybe that's what this is. Maybe you'll just understand that, hey, you know what? It isn't as binary as I've put it in the past. And maybe JD's too hyperbolic and maybe Justin's, you know, too intense about it, whatever. But at least now you'll be able to like question your faith a little bit more. I will say I still have a feeling of 
in the future, we're going to look back on this California road trip and be like, I love when we thought like <laughs> I love that. Falling apart. I love like, that. I, the team can't defend their top players are not engaged in the play whatsoever right now. Like they're, they're basically passengers unless they're on the power play. Um, they've got, a guy named Eric Schalgren in that who they had to lean on heavily in the second period Twice and then finally the lets in a goal trip. and I actually saw people go oh Schalgren's got to have that one I'm like he's an <laughs> AHL goaltender with a 900 save down there like yeah. he anyone he gets is you should be thanking your lucky stars and the whole uh, reason to believe that they could write the ship here is they get Matt Murray back okay <laughs> what or Samsonov somehow carries them a guy that couldn't get 2 million bucks from the organization that he was drafted and developed by. He's like, been a positive though. He's been the, the positive. He's yeah, the, the only positive. What are you talking about? And yeah. <laughs> and eight, eight game road trip, four <laughs> games, eight day four, uh, road trip, yeah. four games. They play Shulgren twice. Yeah. Like what? Here's uh, quickly. A yeah, because again, they think they, they show up sometimes to the a- arena. Arrogance. Like arrogance. they can just win. Like they're just going to win. Difference that Ducks team was Lou- begging to lose too in the first period. They, they really were like, were. Put us away. We don't belong in the NHL. 100%. We're a farm system team. We've got a bunch of mercenaries on this team that are genuinely just like, how far away is the trade deadline? <laughs> like, maybe we can go just stay healthy and compete. You think when, that, when is my nine-game run, Mason dude, McTavish? You think, that, uh, you think that Klingberg is going up the middle and making tough plays right now when he's on a one-year $6 million contract where they probably signed him and said, don't worry, we'll flip oh, you. We'll like, trade what you do you first think chance his, we get. What do you think his level of engagement is right now? Probably pretty low. Yeah, that team beat the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. That team with a goaltender who's got a five goals against. With the referees firmly on the on the <sighs> Leafs side last night. With a break. <laughs> a, they, were, they got a huge break. That goal was a goal. I still cannot believe that got waved off. When that official said it's no goal, I thought he had like a... Brain fart wrong, moment, yeah. and that he was going to have to walk it back, and 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 went. Oh, it's like Jerome Boger saying the Seattle Mariners. It's one of those. Like that happens for officials. It that was, was a, not. that was a desperation heave from oh. Kyle, from Sheldon Keefe. And Nailed a, it, and they caught it somehow. Yeah, quickly. Just a difference yeah. between Lou and Kyle. Yeah. They laugh at Lou online. They laugh at Kyle behind NHL boardrooms. Mm. Yeah, it's true. That's how I see it. Like I, I don't think I, I, I think there's a middle ground that you want to strike between them. And I think they might've had that middle ground when they had them both, mm-hmm. but too far in either direction, bad. Yeah. And that's that, I think that's what we've been, that's what we're seeing laid out for us here. I think this season, I just, it's, it's tough. And this is goes to Sheldon Keefe too. When a lot of us learn on the job and now those two guys have had to learn on the job with what was the most precious core in potentially Leafs history. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say, Leafs history, let's say modern day, since there was more than six teams. How about that? Can we compromise with that? Since there were more than six teams, this was regarded widely as the most precious core that an original six franchise ever had. And you handed over the car keys to two guys who are learning on the job. Kyle Dubas had never negotiated contract extensions with RFAs before, and you let him do it on the job. Mm -hmm. And those things are going to come back and be very, very interesting to look at when this is all said and done. Either way, um, I think that most people agree that it's it's getting real late, real early. Um, it doesn't feel like a move right now is too drastic. I don't think that they'll fire the general manager, even though you could argue that the blame lays at his feet right now more than anyone. They're obviously not trading a player midseason. They can't afford to bench any of their stars, by the way. Like, people said, why didn't they just leave Marner on the bench last night? Because the game was tied. And how else were they going to tie the game 
without one of their best four guys. Like, what, what are you going to do? You're in a position where you're powerless from that standpoint. You're basically completely at the player's mercy, saying as an organization, this is all going to fall apart unless you four guys, five if you want to include Morgan Riley, I don't, whatever, whatever your number is for the star players, those guys need to have some kind of awakening where they just dominate for the rest of the month and make the rest of us look like idiots for having this conversation in season. Make everyone look stupid as hell for talking about this early. And guess what? That's what everyone wants, okay? Like, that's still what everyone wants. I want nothing more than to go, I can't believe we talked about this Lou versus Dubas thing again. Mm -hmm. But again, when you roll things over and you bring the past into the present, it's hard not to do this stuff. Anything else other than a quick break? This was fun. Watching Pete just, you know, have his crisis and sweat. and like. Well, one thing that Sheldon Keefe said last night in his post-game that stuck out to me was one bounce here or there, something along the lines of this, one bounce here or there, and we're going back to Toronto with a win. And it changes the whole vibe and the whole narrative. And I felt like that was, like, so true. But that's just hockey trash speak. But, like... No, but that's true though, JD. It's but like, yeah, that's true for any moment. <laughs> yeah, but that's it's like true for that, going home with three of eight, man, Anaheim, as opposed to two of eight. Anaheim's going, yeah, and if we don't get jobbed by the officials, you don't get a point. Like that works. That that swings in both directions. That's literally hockey, right? Is they say game of bounces, game of luck. Control your own luck a little bit better than having your star player give you two massive turnovers that turn into goals. Think about the game script when Marner doesn't make that play that ends up in the back of their own net for three, two. Mm-hmm. Like that is just wreck. That's not a bad bounce going against you. That's you turned the puck over. You made a selfish play trying to create offense during a time of the game where you didn't need to that ended up on the stick of a guy who is genuinely, if you started an NHL skills competition, you would have in the draft of the first five guys. Like, no, it's not bad bounces. And honestly, that's actually the kind of trash that, has these guys in that mindset where it's constantly apologizing for them. Hey, if we get a couple of bounces, they've said that before every playoff exit, they have that. Oh, yeah. oh we were, remember Montreal series. So you want to lean on, you like it when Sheldon Keefe leans on the same thing they leaned on during the Montreal series, which is, Hey, you know, they made some saves and a couple more, one or two of these shots go in and we beat a team that was picking first the next year. <laughs> like, Come on, give me a break with the bad bounces stuff. I'm not having that. Like, that's outrageous. That's where, again, you just took a big old gulp. You were there at the, you're just like, your lips were all red. Your face is all stained. You got it on your shirt. Like, that's a tough one for me. Like, that's not working. I'm sorry. That's not working. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I guess. It's literally the only thing he can say. I think that's like the point. Is like he cannot say anything of substance. Yeah. Because he's got to worry about how the what the reaction might be. And that's why I find that interaction on the bench so fascinating. Yeah. Like, that to me is like, how do you come back from that? The way well, what how, we know about Mitch, yeah. what we know about Keith, like, are they gonna be able to get over that? Because that seemed like something that no. would totally and completely embarrass Mitch Martyr to the extent where it's going to linger forever. I I, I think that the team and the coach are not together anymore. Yeah. I think that when I think that these players know what the narratives are around this team. And I think that anybody with a brain would know that you are having to show some life for your head coach, that this had been happening multiple times. Again, they have now lost to the two teams from last year with the worst records in hockey, two teams in the twenties. And I think the 14th team from last year, like this isn't, 
wow, okay, you got outplayed by the Bruins. Oh, man, you got the brakes beaten off you by the hot Colorado team. Or Connor McDavid came into town and he scored a hat trick on you. This has been the worst teams in the NHL out-competing you mm-hmm. every night as your coach gets his job talked about. Like, I just don't know how you can tell me that's a team that isn't quitting on somebody. Like, that's the definition of killing a coach. This is literally 101. This is the first page in how to kill a coach. Uh, hey, when the, the media and when everybody is saying, you got to show up tonight with a good effort level because uh, start on time, right? Leafs, start on time. This has been the message since Babcock. And you're still not doing it? Mm, I don't know. I, I don't know. It just seems like that's kind of what these guys want. They want a different voice in their room. They want a new bench daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's take a break. Let's come back. Uh, good weekend in, in betting for the fellas. Not so much Pete, who took a long shot that he didn't even bet the coward. That's next. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Cuthbert, thanks for coming in, man. That was a lot of fun. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Spooky. Spooky season for the Leafs. That was good. That was a good little event session in the morning. Everybody just uh, got it out. <laughs> you know? Everybody just had their say. It's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. But you got to live in Ontario, which you probably do if you're listening to this live. You got to be 19 plus. Please play responsibly. So I gave a bunch of winners on Friday's show. Um, I did like the Jags. I just can't remember genuinely which pick I was trying to make as my pick. I gave out five and they went four or five. I <laughs> loved the Titans. And you know what? I'm proud of myself because I wavered on the Titans when Ryan Tannehill was out. I went, do I really feel like I'm going to back... Malik Willis, and no, I was fine because the entire premise was they they were going to run the ball down the throats of the Texans. They did that to the point where Malik Willis said after the game, why would we throw the ball when they can't stop the run? And I went, you're damn right, (laughs) Malik Willis. Why would you? Don't do it. Don't turn the ball over. I liked Washington. What a drive by my boy Heineke. I love Heineke. I'm not apologizing for it. I think that right now, if you did it like a... Who do NFL fans like player poll? Who is universally liked is Taylor Heineke. Number one, like who has a negative Heineke? He, first of all, you get to come in and replace Carson Wentz, which has to be the easiest gig in football. Like poor, uh, poor Matt Ryan blew that. Like just replacing Carson Wentz has to be the sweetest gig being his understudy. You know, you're watching that going, this is perfect for me. He comes in, he's got chemistry with Terry McLaurin. So fantasy owners love him. Anybody who had drafted scary Terry is thrilled that they get this guy back. He drives down the field on the road, throws a bomb to scary Terry and then punches her in with 20 seconds left stud, absolute stud. Everybody loves him. Eagles are a powerhouse. That's very clear. I don't know what the hell the rest of the AFC East is outside of obviously the Buffalo bills that are the best team in football. I think that's pretty clear. Now it's becoming more and more obvious that there it's just, it's a pathway. The super bowl is to me chiefs bills, but I will say the Eagles continue to make this season a little bit more interesting. Just, I love it when a good team goes in and kicks the ass of a bad team. And that's what the Eagles did. They went, yep. First quarter done. Game is done. You don't have to worry about this. If you're an Eagles fan, we're not going to make you sweat this. We're just good. But, 
I think my biggest takeaway from the weekend, the Denver Broncos might be fine. Hmm. Yeah. And okay, maybe this is my Seahawks fan insecurity of that draft pick. And I was already looking at it when it was early before Trevor, the loser Lawrence threw an interception on the one somehow. Um, but when they were on the one yard line and I thought this is going to be 14, nothing. I was doing the like counting my money before it's in the bank account move with the draft pick going, this is so great. But then that Broncos defense just all day long stymied this guy. They were all Justin Simmons. What a baller. That defense is just ballers. And there's something about it where you're going, they play like desperate, hungry dogs because they know that if they give up points, their team is, you know, the word they're done. That's the word I was going to use. No, seriously, they need to play desperate football every single week to survive. And Russell Wilson made some vintage Russell Wilson plays yesterday. And he's corny and he's lame and everybody's rooting for his failure and his downfall and all this different stuff. But when Russ starts to sling it, that's when everybody kind of has to believe. And there were just these little moments where I went, huh, okay. Like there's something there. I don't think that they're Super Bowl contenders. Again, like it depends on what you're kind of framing this as. But this is their division. Candy-ass Chargers, who aren't doing anything this year. Then their Powder Blues, losers again, doing absolutely nothing, burning a year of Justin Herbert because they've got mm, maybe the worst coach in football and a bunch of guys who always get hurt and who are always overrated. You want to talk about like a parallel with the Leafs? Like it's the Chargers. Hey, never win, but everyone will talk about you like you're the favorites. Like, wow, Chargers stink. But uh, last this weekend was a big eye opener for the Raiders. I'm not done. I'm done with the Raiders. Like Raiders will no longer be getting the stamp of approval from old JD. The Raiders are doo-doo, baby. Raiders are trash. They are soft. That is a soft football team. You're letting Andy Dalton just do whatever he wants to you? Are you kidding? Dennis Allen? Man, if you're Josh McDaniels, you got to be going, so... Everybody keeps saying I'm the man. Everybody keeps saying I'm this guru. We got zero points on Dennis Allen. We got outcoached by Dennis Allen. Zero points. Zero. Not a single point. Oof. That's soft. That's just soft. That's a group that knows who they are. Their defense couldn't get any stops. You can run the ball on them. You can throw on them. They play soft coverages. They're just done. They're soft. And I can't wait to talk to Greg Jennings in a few because I wonder what he thinks about what Devontae Adams is thinking about. Because if I was Devontae Adams, <laughs> I'd be going, how much money do you have in the bank? Okay, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> I don't know what else he's leaning on. His uh, buddy Derek Carr may not be it. Maybe he wants to retract the Derek Carr over uh, Aaron Rodgers' comments, even though Aaron Rodgers hasn't been looking great either. Anyways, uh, let's make some picks. It's a Monday night game. Uh, Bengals, Browns. Uh, Boffo, you've been a Browns guy. You're all about the Browns. You're, you know, you're sticking with him. You're sticking by him. Pete is actually a Browns fan, but he's having, again, a crisis of faith. He doesn't know what to do about the Deshaun <laughs> Watson thing. Um, all right. You betting your Browns? Are they still your Browns? Like, how are you feeling watching them play tonight? I, I have no attachment to the Browns. You're really. done. You're like, just ice cold. You've been I, to multiple games. You've just cut I've them out of your life. been to multiple games. Wow. Um, it'll stem from kind of a similar thing to the Leafs. Like, they were trying to rebuild properly, right, with yeah. John Dorsey and everything. Even earlier than that with, like, the Johnny Menzel draft and everything. But, uh, yeah, I'm not taking the Browns tonight. Oof, Johnny Manziel. 
Yeah, I was really excited for him. Yeah, I was I really mean, excited for him. <laughs> yeah, I was too because Good I really. Staff. Do you know how badly I wanted Johnny Football to be good and for the Cowboys fans to have to like know Jer- like for Jerry Jones's last thing to be. I knew it. I knew yeah. this guy. <laughs> I knew he could ball out. <laughs> you guys made me pick an old lineman. I think they took, uh, no, they didn't Zach take Martin. Travis. Yeah, Zach Martin. Yeah. I was going to say Travis Frederick, but no, it was Zach Martin. Why'd you guys make me do it? <laughs> that would have been the best. That would have been the best if that's how Jerry went down. Anyways, uh, so you're not going with uh, your ex-Browns? You, yeah. Um, how do you feel watching your ex? Um, well, I'm going to go with the Bengals money. Well, I have a three-pick parlay. I hope that's okay. It is not okay. No? (laughs) Three pick parlay. What are you doing here? We're all making a pick. Well, I think these are pretty good. Yeah, okay. If I have to pick one, I'll pick Nick Chubb anytime TD. Yep, that's Uh, pretty good He is the offense, the Browns offense. Not Mm -hmm. that there's much, but uh, he's like a, he's a superstar. Yeah. Yeah. Minus 120, anytime TD. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Browns are missing one of their offensive linemen, uh, Wyatt Teller. Mm -hmm. Pretty big piece of the team, but I don't see it being an issue. Uh, one thing that concerns me is like... You're still a fan. Like, you know who's on the O-line. If you know who's on the O-line, you're a fan. Well, That's what I always say. I know, but I, I'm piece. just saying that. Yeah, yeah, see, but even the way you're talking about it right now, you're like, he's a big piece. <laughs> he's a big piece of our team. Pete's coming back to the Browns. You guys are going to make up. It's going to be fine. Maybe, Bafo, what do you like? I would probably lean the Browns if I was picking the spread. I just think, you know, again, the division games, these teams know each other. You love the Browns. Waffles obsessed with the Browns. You, I'm not, dude, though. I just thought You guys that, are horny for the Browns. Like, I'm not, you, though. <laughs> Yeah. I just thought they would cover, or I just didn't think the Ravens would cover against them last week, and yeah. it didn't end up happening. But this is this, I think, is a great bet tonight, guys. Kareem Hunt is on the trade block. Mm-hmm. They have to show other teams that he is serviceable, and I, and I'm not saying that he's yeah. gonna. I'm not saying he's gonna have like an insane game or anything like that. But yeah. I expect him to catch a couple of passes out of the flats, and uh, I think he it's. 12 and a half yards. I expect him to go over that. I 12 think, and a half receiving wow. yards? Receiving. 12 and a half receiving yards for Kareem Hunt. I think he can do that in one catch. And it's looking like... And if you, look, if you look at his reception prop, it's over 1.5 receptions for minus 160 on DraftKings. So hmm. they think he's going to get a couple of catches. Uh, I think he can make up that yardage in one catch. And I think they're going to feed him a bit more just because he's on the block. And, you know, they want to show that he's a good player. So Kareem Hunt... Over 12 and a half receiving yards, that's my pick. I like that pick. I like that pick too. Um, you guys are following the the JD prop manifesto right now, which is bets you always think you're in it. I also like the game script for this one because I think the Bengals are going to win. And so if they're ahead, there's probably going to be a little bit more cream hunt. If there's a little bit more cream hunt, that means there's a little bit more check downs if you're chasing the game. I always love Nick Chubb, all right? Like, you, you can always get me to back a Nick Chubb thing. He's one of my favorite players in the entire NFL. Like, that guy is just a – this is so lame to say it this way, but it's true. This guy's a football player, all right? <laughs> you guys – that guy, Nick Chubb, that's a football player, baby. Like, that's that's a player. I don't – I can't believe it. Pete would give up on a team that has Nick Chubb. That's pretty embarrassing, actually. You got I'm well, breaking you it. told me I couldn't be a Browns fan anymore because of my uh... – What's affinity for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens? Yeah, well, listen, it, you can't cheat it's on not right. you can't yeah. cheat on your team with an interdivisional team. Yeah. All right, it's just it's just not a thing you can do. You got to hate. Yeah. You got to just despise. You got to you got to be the guy who every single week shows up and says Lamar Jackson's a running back. You know, oh, like no. that's can't do that. that. Yeah. See, can't do look that. at you. Yeah. You love him. Can't do like, that. I love Lamar too. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not a I'm not a Browns fan. I like Joe Mixon over 17 and a half carries tonight. I think he's going to tote the rock. I think they can hand it to him. There's no Jamar Chase. They're going to try to get the pressure off of Joe Burrow. I like 
I, I just, I kind of want to see what this Bengals team is without Jamar Chase. Like, I'm not really sure what the identity is because there's been a lot of Joe Burrow might be Kirk Cousins with that. You know, there's a lot of those takes out there. I think Cool Joe is good. I thought that that team was just kind of coming out of their funk. I don't like either side of the line tonight, to be honest, because I think Jamar T- Chase is such an identity player. I just don't know. But we've seen them try to establish the run with Joe Mixon before. And I think that if this is just going to be a close game, which I anticipate it will, I could see a lot of first and second down runs for the Bengals. And I, I just think that they're going to hand them the rock a ton. So that's the one I like. Joe Mixon, I think it might be 16 and a half. It might be 17 and a half. Either way, I had it up this morning. Um, but it's one of those two. Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk to Greg Jennings about the weekend in football. Yo, I was, I actually just had a debate with my buddy over a thriller and whether it's a Halloween song or not. I say it's not. It's like, it's a Halloween song in terms of like people play it during Halloween, but it's not like a Halloween song. It's just a good song no matter what. It's just a hit. Anyway, uh, Greg Jennings, former Pro Bowl receiver, Super Bowl champion. What's up, man? How we doing? How's, uh, how's your spooky season? It is going great. You, uh, Happy you, Halloween you, to you. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm a candy guy, so I love this time of year because everybody just gets to crush candy. And you get to, like, it's, it's a, we're all together in this. That's me, you know, going, of course I can eat 20 mini chocolate bars. But I, I, I'm not okay. a big into the dress-up. You, you big dress-up guy? I feel like when you're a pro athlete, it's more likely that you are. Uh, you know, I'm really not. Okay. I'm not, man. I, I leave that to my, my kids, my yeah. wife and kids. They pretty much whatever they say we're going to do, that's what I end up just falling in line and doing. So, yeah. What do the kids um, make you do? Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess this year we're Toon Squad. So I don't know okay. who in the Toon Squad I am. <laughs> you but, just uh, find out later. Like, right. I will find out. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it, it's going to be a tough look for you if you're not, you know, Bugs Body. Like, you got to get Bugs. You got to be furious. You got to throw a fit in the house if they're like, you're Elmer Fudd. Like, what's <laughs> You can't have that. I know, right? Yeah. I know. But I, when, when you're not, when you don't participate in yeah. the decision making <laughs> yeah. or the ideas, you yeah. kind of get left with whatever everybody else has not selected. They're like, you're uh, Bill Murray. <laughs> like, no, that's, that's yeah, mean. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that one. Okay, so I want to start off with just uh, a, a rapid-fire thing with you about quarterbacks because, to me, this actually felt like a, a weekend of a couple of guys who are not rookies, um, uh, have been in the league now for more than a season, and I don't know how to feel about them except for kind of negatively, but let me, let me run down these names and you just kind of tell me, are you in? Are you out? Are you unsure? That's the way that we'll play mm-hmm. this. So let's start with this one guy, Zach Wilson. Are you in? Are you out? Or are you unsure? Unsure. Uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to say I'm out, um, I'm out. but, but <laughs> I'm unsure simply because I feel like, with with what they had going, obviously establishing the running game, he didn't have to be great. You lose Brees Hall, and uh, part of your running attack is it looks different, right? You bring in James Robinson, some, someone new. Mm-hmm. It's going to look different a, a bit. It's going to take more time, but it also applies more pressure to a guy like Zach Wilson who has to prove it. He just hasn't been able to be consistent, especially against – 
really good opponents that challenged him to throw the ball like the New England Patriots did yesterday. Um, so I don't want to say I'm out yet. I'm going to give him the rest of this season. Mm. But if I don't see it, I'm with you. I'm going to be out. Yeah, I just, you know what? He, he's really got this awesome escapability. Like, that's my number one thing I watch him, and I go, how do you keep getting away from some of these sacks? And then he's got this powerful arm, so you're, you're kind of watching him going, oh, he's, he's going to do something, watch it, and then he sails it on somebody. And you go, oh, sometimes just throw the ball away. And maybe that's something you learn, but I just feel like there's too many bad turnovers at bad times for a team that's just been kind of in games. And what you just said there is, you know, uh, he, they were a team that was, like, running the ball. They had a different identity. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I just feel like this Jets team, I just feel like this Jets team might actually have some like decent pieces moving forward here. I kind of like a lot about the Jets. I like their front seven. Their D-line is really nice. Um, I think Salah has kind of put his imprint on this team in a nice way. Yeah, the Hall thing is tough, but I love the Garrett Wilson pick. I like Sauce Gardner. And then this dude mm-hmm. kind of makes these plays every game where he breaks their backs or he just doesn't make one. And I go, eh, well, if I'm the Jets, I, I don't want to wait too long on this. Um, the guy on the other side of the field yesterday, he wins... But I'll say it. That rough in the passer penalty changed the entire game. Like yes, it was a, it really did. It's a pick it six did. that goes the other way. And guess what? Mac Jones didn't play particularly well for the rest of it. Mac Jones, are you in? Are you out? Are you unsure? I am. This one, I'm out. Say it. Yes. Me too. I'm, I'm also out. out. That's the theme of this segment, I'm out, by the way. I'm out, I'm out on Mac Jones. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a few reasons why I'm out on Mac Jones. For me, when I look at Mac Jones, it, there's nothing that he does that I can say is special. It's, literally, there's mm-hmm. nothing. Everyone talks about, you know, how he comes in, type of leader he is. Well, it's, it still has to be something tangible that I can see on the field of play that separates you from the pack. Right now, I, I, when you look at their quarterback depth, he and Bailey Zappi, what separates them? If I'm looking, if I'm, I'm, I'm a exactly, I'm a receiver, and if if I'm if I'm in that building, I really want Bailey Zappi because I believe that he can provide more when it comes to throwing the football and escapability. I mean, it's a little different with Mac. That's one of his strengths, if you want to say he has a strength. But you don't look at Mac Jones and say he's going to extend plays with his legs and still beat you. No. So there's nothing that I've seen that that separates him. He hasn't been extremely accurate. hasn't been able to lead his team to wins and win because they win because of him. I'm out on Mac Jones, dude. Uh, also out on Mac Jones. Uh, here's here's my thinking. If you're even getting compared to Bailey Zappi, I'm out. You know, like yeah. it's like Bailey Zappi's a six foot quarterback who was what a six round pick, a seven. He's a like what are we doing here? If you have to compare him to your starting guy, then it's just not good. And if we're talking about, like, the leadership component of this, okay, I know it's the Patriots, and so some of this ends up always being, like, how do you win? If you say anything out of line, it just feels like, you know, you're completely going against Belichick and the organization. But there were all those, like, hey, Mac Jones might not be too happy with the offense. Hey, Mac Jones isn't comfortable with the offense. Hey, like, this was the step forward last year was Mac Jones. And he, like you're the one kind of complaining about this. Like, is that leadership? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's leadership. I see guys like Jalen Hurts from Alabama who had to sit behind Carson Wentz and get questioned and still is playing extremely well right now. I've seen Tua who has been benched in season, you know, for 
uh, pretty like not great quarterbacks still found a way to make sure that he was sort of the guy, at least in that, in that locker room, like his two Alabama guys. I don't know if I feel the same way about Mac Jones. So yeah, I'm out too. Um, Justin Fields, you in, you out, you're not sure. Justin Fields is a, I'm, I'm not sure. I, okay. you know, I'm more leaning to I'm in I'm simply in because of what, I, simply because of what I've seen the last two games. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the last two games, they've kind of, they've kind of allowed him to lean into who he is. Like as a runner, they've created more designed runs for him, allowing him to get into the floor of the game, become more comfortable, even as a passer, believe it or not. And so I love that approach. I like the fact that he can extend plays, kind of what you said about uh, Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. He has to understand every, every play is not going to be a game breaker. Throw the ball away. Get rid of the ball. Don't put your team or your defense in harm's way. Like Those are the little things that I think that he can correct. They have a receiver that he's developing a rapport with. They have a running game. He's a part of that running game. They're starting to make their offense, offensive identity be uh, surrounding what he does well. I'm not all the, I'm not all the way in, but I'm not definitely not out. I'm still a little bit unsure, but if I had to lean towards one, I'm in on Justin Fields. I'm going to tell you this before we even talk about the next guy. I'm the most in on him out of anyone in the group. Um, the only part of him that I'm not sure about is, like, listen, I don't know, but uh, he seems to be a bit of a jerk. <laughs> he seems to be a guy who, like, likes to call out the fans and likes to uh, point a lot of figures at media. Like, he's a pretty unapologetic guy, uh, which, whatever, maybe if you're a stud, that works out. Um, I just think that that's the case. Sometimes, like, a market or maybe a team can turn on you more quickly if you're not getting the results. But either way, um, Fields... I just, I think that he's going to have a moment in the league. Like he just, he makes plays. He makes one or two plays a game where I could go, okay, I can, I can see this. Like I can see us a year or two from now going, and that's why you don't write this dude off. He makes a throw. He makes a play with his legs where I just see more flashes of it than I do with the other guys. Well, it's, 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 it's what I alluded to with what, in what I don't see with Mac Jones. I don't mm-hmm. see any definitive thing Special that trait. uniquely, exactly, that separates him from the pack. Like, I don't, I don't see that. Like you have Kyler Murray. He obviously he has his legs. You have guys who they have something that makes you say, "Mm, let me, let me give it a minute. That's Justin Fields. Yeah. Um, I saved the best for last Trevor Lawrence. You in, you out, you're not sure. I'm in on Trevor Lawrence. I just can't be out. I can't be. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why I'm in on Trevor Lawrence. Excuse excuse the animal. Because your dog knows. The dog knows the truth. He's out. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you caught passes from Pro Bowlers before. You're in on that? What are you talking about? He's furious. Like, you're going to have to put him outside. I'm I'm in on Trevor Lawrence simply because. I love everything about what he can do. I know this sounds strange, but so here we go. And I know the deep breath is like, well, he hasn't done it yet. This is year two. Mm -hmm. And I count this truly as almost a year one because of the situation he was in last year. Mm -hmm. So this year, everything looks different. They start to put him around individuals and pieces that can really support who he is. I still don't love their receiving core. They're they're decent, but they're not great. Uh, Offensively, he has to get protected more. He has. He still makes little mistakes, but he's six six. He looks the part. You know he has a strong arm. He makes when he does look good. 
He looks really good. I just think he has to be in a better situation every single week, meaning comfortable, lead, feeling good about what they're doing offensively, and he thrives. When they get down, he starts to push and force the envelope, and he reverts back to thinking he can make and do anything as if he's back in Clemson. This is not Clemson. <laughs> Uh, but I do. I am in on Trevor Lawrence. I'm out. Uh, I'm totally out. I'm just getting ahead of the curve on this one, and I'm fine because if I end up getting burned on this, I'll just be like, yeah, you know, I was. Uh, I, uh, you know, when I like watching Trevor Lawrence is when he does a quarterback sneak. Like he quarterback sneaks, and I go, oh yeah, there's a six foot six guy who will move the chains. Um, when I don't like Trevor Lawrence, it's pretty much the rest of the game. Like, he forces the ball. There's so many plays where I'm like, what the hell was that? He seems like he has happy feet so many, so much of the game where, like, I don't know. It's just it's the, the ghost eye level thing that people sometimes talk about. Sure, like, we can talk about last year with, you know, Urban Meyer and how much of a disaster it was and how this counts as year one. But I just, like, I want people to apologize for me the way that the rest of the world seems to apologize for Trevor Lawrence. Like, I want to go through doing nothing for two years and people go, you know what, though? He's, he's got a lot of traits. <laughs> you know, like, that's, I think this is what you get when you're just six foot six and handsome and have a big arm is you're just going to get so much more leeway. I just don't see it. Like, every single week. He threw an interception this week at the one-yard line where it's just clear, like, hey, man, throw the ball away or scramble it in. You're massive. Sneak it in. Do something, yeah. anything. Eat the play. You can't turn the ball over at the one. And then when they got that ball to close the game, and I know that that Broncos defense is awesome. I love that Broncos defense. Like, I'm obsessed with those guys. But the first play on the comeback drive, I'm going, here's how I felt when he had to go drive down the field. I went, there is no way in hell. <laughs> there is no way in hell. And the very first throw, you break the team's back with an interception. I just, I can't. Like, I just, I haven't seen anything since he was in college. I mean, and, that's, and that is totally fair. I would. I, I'm not going to even try to defend Trevor Lawrence here. Mm-hmm. I just know when when I look at guys like, and this is why I'm so, I'm not so quick to just be completely out on guys yeah. other than like Mac Jones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, poor Mac Jones. Me, I was going to say you're me. out here making apologies for everyone, and then Mac Jones, you're like, he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so, like, yeah. uh, and again, I just just look listen, look at this. Yeah. Listen to this list. The yeah. Eagles. Texans been playing some pretty good defense. Mm-hmm. Colts, mm-hmm. you know what they can be. The Giants, the Broncos. Like, these are the defenses that he's faced. I'm not saying these defenses are stellar, mm-hmm. but they're, they've been stout. They've, been proved, they've proved that they can, they can put up or they can stop you from putting up a, a, lot, a bunch of points. The Houston Texans, I mentioned them because that, that's, a, that's a division rival. Like, that's, that's a team that's going to always know who you are there's familiarity there. They're going to give you hard times. For me, year this is year one, Doug Peterson. I got to give him a moment. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Danny Dimes. We all are like, I'm out. I'm done. I am absolutely done. They get a new head coach. They lean into what he does well, read option, RPOs. And Danny Dimes is like a completely different player right now. Is he the is he the future? We don't know that yet, but he's sure enough making us question that he's he's definitely in consideration for it. So that's what gives me pause with guys like Trevor Lawrence because he does have something about him that makes you want to say, you know what? Let me let me sit back and wait for it a minute. 
so here's the thing about Danny Dimes. I'm out on him, too. <laughs> like, I think that Trevor Lawrence can be who, good. Who are you in on? You know who I'm in on? Where we're going next. You know who I'm in on? I'm in on two guys that I want to talk about from this weekend. Number one, and they're two guys that people went, you know, what? these guys are just backups. These guys are whatever. These, you don't really want to be handing over the car keys to Geno Smith. Yes, you do. I'm so in on Geno Smith. Like, I was reluctant to do this. I've been kind of holding off on this one for a couple of weeks. Like, I wanted to see a little bit more from the Seahawks. I wanted to see this thing actually play out. But they routed the Giants. That's the most points the Giants have given up this year. That's the, mo- that's the least amount of points that they've scored. The Seahawks just look good. And it kind of feels like a Pete Carroll team over there. Like, young guys, fast, like, hungry, attacking the ball. And then Geno Smith, though, like, he's just slinging it. And I'm like, are you believing in the Geno Smith thing? Because I'm in on Geno. I am in on Geno. Hell yeah. I was, I'm going to tell you. Hell yeah. I'm going to tell you when I was in on Geno. I was in on Geno when they when they beat the, the Broncos week mm-hmm. one. I'm going to tell you why. When I saw Geno Smith, some of the decisions he made in that game, the poise he showed, it was like, okay, I've been around this block a few times. I'm finally settled. I finally have a guy who believes in me. They trust in me. They're going to allow me mm-hmm. to do what I do. He can throw the ball. He's accurate. He's mobile. He provides you everything that you want at the quarterback position. He, it just took him a while to be able to do it. And then the right opportunity and then to be trusted. And he's executing. He has receivers. He has a run game. He has everything you need to be successful as a quarterback. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's extremely accurate. Like, I love everything. All the things that he wasn't early in his career when he first started out with the Jets and then he started to become a journeyman, he is understood that, you know what, I have to become more of a student of the game. I'm going to absorb all this information and gain all this experience because he had experience with his previously stint, previous stints, mm-hmm. and now his opportunity has come back to him, and he's capitalizing. I think he's going to be a really good quarterback moving forward. Well, he is a good quarterback right now. Yeah, he is. I love the guy. Like, and I'm just, and every week too, I'm just rooting for him. Like, I just want to see him do well. I want to have the they wrote me off I didn't write back as just like the credo of the season you know like that's the thing that we all look back on is Geno Smith and and that's the part of this too that I wonder because his Jets tenure was rocky right it ended up with was it he that got I think he got punched in the face in the in the locker room I think it was him that took the punch Mm -hmm. you know it flamed out there he went to the Giants and and he's dead right everyone thought Geno Smith is a bust Geno Smith is a nobody and I wonder if there's got to be a certain degree of this guy humbled himself and that he turned into a leader. And I wonder about, especially from your standpoint, right, someone who's been in these locker rooms, the power of having someone who has been through the ringer and who has become an underdog story play well and lead you to wins. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where you just want a guy to play well, like you just said. like it, Guys like... Heineke. That's my next guy. Uh, I'm in guys on, like, by the way, guy like Case Keenum, yeah. like these, those are guys who just win the locker room because of the way they work and their relatability and their their being an underdog, just feeling about them and them standing up tall in the in the moments that they need to and executing. It's like they give everyone hope. And so when you look at Geno Smith, man, like I said, I love everything that he's doing this year more than anything. I love that he looks and he's acting and he's presenting himself on the field, not talking off 
as a mature quarterback, mm-hmm. a, a seasoned quarterback. Yeah, I'm I'm fully in on him. And like I said, the other guy is Taylor Heineke. I don't have to spend as much time on it. I'll just say it's hilarious that you mentioned Case Keenum because to me, Taylor Heineke is just better Case Keenum. Like, that's what he seems yep. like to me. Slightly better Case Keenum. They're the exact same guy. I feel like I'm watching it all over again where I go, if your team is, uh, if you need a season to turn around and you need a couple of games of lift, then Heineke is your guy. And replacing Carson Wentz, and just, it's got to be a great job. Like I was joking earlier, he's, there's there's probably no better job in football right now than backing up Carson Wentz because like three weeks in the season, all the guys in the locker room are like, well, you should be the guy. <laughs> it's like step in there and do anything. Uh, that's going to make you confident too. But I just thought that this guy is fearless down the field. And I love that. He's not afraid to scramble. He's not afraid to contact. He's won with them before. I'm a Heineke guy. Like it's not the player in your organization that you can't replace with a draft pick. But I do think that, it's pretty clear to me that, you know, he has a real place in the NFL now. He really does. So the, the interesting thing about guys like Heineke is I don't know if he will ever be like a true number one QB one starter. No. But what he is is a one of the most valuable backups that you could ever have on your roster. If anything happens, it's like, oh, we got Taylor. We're good. We're good. You know that we're going to be good. He's professional. He knows how to execute. He's going to get the guys to rally behind him because of his playmaking ability and his leadership style. Like he just has this fire about him, this bravado that makes you rally around him. I'm not a Washington commander fan, but when Taylor Heineke steps on the field, you just, you just root for him. You just root for him. Like he's, he's a smaller guy, but he, he has, he has everything that it takes. He has the grit. He has the lunch film mindset, hard hat mindset where I'm going to work and I'm going to get it done. I'm not coming back home until it's completed. That's who Taylor Heineke is. And that's what the Washington commanders need. I, I honestly felt like they could have gone with him over Carson Wentz to get from the jump, but I understand some guys don't thrive well in a QB one right out the gate role. That may be him, but number two guy, he will forever have a job in this league. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just like, he's the backup that you turn to and go, maybe it won't be so bad. Or he's the guy that you bring in to compete with a, somebody like uh, a Wentz where you can take a shot on some pedigree, but ultimately you feel comfortable turning over the keys to, to this guy. Um, you were a very good wide receiver. Um, how do you think Devontae Adams feels? Like, are you in or are you out on Derek Carr? Um, because I, you can't play, I'm not sure. Not on this. No, I'm, I'm Derek Carr, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's disturbing me. Like, I'm trying to be very selective with my words no, right no, now. Yeah. When disturbing me is perfect. Because he, he he's really giving me a hard time because you, you're making one of the best receivers that we know in the game, yep. and he's had flashes even this season. How do you how do you three yards have one catch for three yards and one catch for three? Now Devontae left a situation where everybody knew he was getting the ball mm-hmm. every single play. He that never happened. Now he goes. And you, you don't you you acquire him, and yes, you you guys are BFFs. Love the story, all of that. Great, get me the ball. 
Like, I don't want to hear my bad, man, when we get on the plane, uh, they were covered. No, I've, I've gone through this for the last four or five years of my career in Green Bay. I come over here and all of a sudden I can't get a ball mm-hmm. thrown to me. Like, I, I not only fought Derek Carr, but Josh McDaniels. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You have one of the best in the league and you're just, you're, you're literally putting your offense at a disadvantage by not utilizing him. Dude. Yeah, I'm 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 yeah, so I am out. I am done. I'm out on the Raiders. I'm out on Josh McDaniels. <laughs> I'm out on Derek Carr. I'm just I'm I'm I feel terrible for Devontae Adams because all everyone in Green Bay is looking like is they should have never separated. Yeah. And I'm one of those right now, like, man, maybe they should have stayed. Dude, this is such a divorce where both parties, right? They you look at both sides of the divorce and you go, both of you are doing terrible. One of you is still single, you know, and you, you've put on weight. You're not doing well. The other one's with somebody that you don't want to invite to any of the parties. <laughs> and you're just like, this sucks. <laughs> I lost both my friends and neither of you are doing well. You know, I gotta, yeah. I'm basically avoiding the two of you. Adams has three weeks this season, uh, one with 12 yards, one with 36, one with three. Um, He's one of the most reliable receivers I've ever seen. He's just this incredible route runner. He's basically always open. Uh, You can scheme up just about anything for him like the Packers used to where it's like, yeah, just throw him a bubble screen, just throw him a quick slant, just throw him just a quick out, something. Let him put the ball in his hands, and they're not putting the ball in his hands. It's extremely frustrating. And I I think that the Raiders' defense is soft. Like, for them to just let Andy Dalton be like, yeah, we're going to do whatever we want to you, and we're going to run up the score. You can't get a stop. That's tough. But seeing Derek Carr throw a horrific pick up the middle – I'm trying to find uh, what's his name. I'm, I'm blanking on uh, the the what's it? anyway. No, who Renfro? cares? Yeah, it was. It was Hunter Renfro. It was Hunter Renfro. Yeah. He's trying to find, and it's a bad interception. I'm like, at least have that interception go to Devonte Adams. Like, at least have yeah. one where you're trying to force a play like that in a double coverage. Be the guy who can beat double coverage. And his body language on the sideline. Yeah, I'm out. I I couldn't be more out on Derek Carr. Uh, I'll go back to a positive one now. You know what I'm in on? I'm in on the Allen and Diggs connection. And I know that we did this already last week where we talked a lot about Josh Allen, but I feel like we didn't give enough like love towards Stephon Diggs. Um, is this now the, the number one connection in the NFL? It is not. Okay. What is? It is not. And, I, and, and I've talked about this. I do my top five every week. Uh-huh. And Diggs has been number one and he dropped down to number two. Uh, but for me, I love what they do. I love the fact that even in the red zone, we saw him last. He has an RPO and he just he just tries to give him the ball. Mm-hmm. He just go. He had no business trying to throw him a ball at the goal line, but he does it because it's digs and that's yep. their relationship exactly. And it's like I'm going to get my guy. I'm going to give my guy an opportunity. That's what you want at the receiver position, and that's what you want to have as a quarterback when you can look out there and say, you know what, I can just give him a chance he'll make a play for me or nobody's going to get it. He knows that. They know that with one another. And so, but there also there is also a connection that we're starting to witness and it is unreal to me what Tyreek Hill is doing in mm. Miami. Mm. It is absolutely unreal. You do that. not go from Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. to Tua Tungabailoa and then all off season you talk about all the greatness of Tua that we are like what? Are you kidding me? You're comparing him to Patrick Mahomes. You're saying he throws a better ball, blah, 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 blah. And then it actually manifests. 
Like, you actually see – now, I'm not saying that he throws a better ball. I'm not saying that he's a better quarterback, Tua, um, Patrick Mahomes. But what Tyree Hill has been able to bring out of Tua Tungavailoa this year, mm-hmm. none of us saw this. None of us saw this. Like, he is the true X factor. You go from one one team and we're like, what are they going to do without him? So they fabricate and put together individual guys to make up who he was for them, and they are having tremendous success in Kansas City. He leaves, he goes to a situation, has all this expectation, and he's completely living up to it mm-hmm. and more and beyond. Like, I love everything that Tua and, and Tyreek Hill have established. Jalen Waddle. I, I mean, it's, it's fun to watch them because you know they're never out because the big play is lurking. I, he's so good that I might have been in on Zach Wilson if he would have gone to the Jets because I'm like, yeah, you can just throw him the ball anywhere and yeah. he can break one. And I desperately want to see a Chiefs-Dolphins game in the postseason. I just think that would be so fun to see Tyreek try to burn his old team and, and put up big numbers yeah. against them. Honestly, for a split second, I thought you were going to say P.J. Walker and, and D.J. Moore because I actually loved watching Stop those it. two guys play. I know, but it was so fun. That was <laughs> such a fun... I couldn't believe how much time, how much oxygen that game ended up getting on my TVs where I went like, okay, uh, I can't turn away from this. And yeah, I don't know. D.J. Moore just... Like, there was this whole report that the Panthers aren't going to trade him, and I went, yeah, I wouldn't trade him either after a game like that. Like, he yeah. looks amazing. Um... Last one, though, does the Christian McCaffrey thing make you think that the Niners can join the elite tier? Because for the most of the season, um, like they just got the brakes beaten off them by the Chiefs and they had McCaffrey, but it was week one. Uh, Jimmy G threw a really bad interception. Like, do we give that one a bit of a mulligan based on how they beat this team? And I think it was like 170 yards, all, like, like all purpose yards for McCaffrey, just an insane game for him against the Rams. Did they change? Does he change the ceiling of the Niners for you? I think he changed the ceiling of the Niners offensively. <clears throat> Defensively, I don't know what's going on with them. They just don't look the same. Yeah. Um, but getting back Injuries. to Christian McCaffrey on that side of the ball, exactly. He looks great. He What he provides them is exactly what they were hoping because Debo has had injury issues. So Debo's out. Now you have to deal with Christian McCaffrey. Before, before if they didn't have Christian McCaffrey, we don't – we don't see that type of offense. We don't see that type of performance from anyone else on that offense. And so you, you now have the luxury of having two of those individuals where you provide your quarterback who's not one to push the ball down the field a ton, who thrives off play action, who thrives off getting the ball into the receiver's hands, specifically Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, like quick, quickly. And now you have a, a, a weapon that can do all of those things that Debo does. <laughs> he's a true running back, mm-hmm. but he's also like kind of a hybrid receiver. He's like, they're, they're inverted from one another. Debo is a receiver that can do running back. And, and Christian McCaffrey is a running back that can really be a great receiver. Mm-hmm. Like you have the identical individuals that does it a different way for a quarterback that we don't, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw you into it, that I don't trust. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You get them guys who you can just get the ball in their hands quick. You can create some opportunities as far as matchups. And now he has one guy to look at because he doesn't get all the way through his progressions often. So I love that about it. Defensively, like you just mentioned, the injuries, I don't know if they're able to overcome it, but if they can figure it out offensively, this team is special. Yeah, they should go get Taylor Heineke. 
Uh, they should be getting on guard with all of you. They get Heineke, they're going all the way. I'm telling you, Heineke versus Gino for the NFC Championship game is everything I want. That's all I want. Uh, Greg Jennings, this was really fun, buddy. Thanks for doing it. Absolutely. Talk Have to you next week, man. Happy Halloween. Good luck. Uh, I hope you end up being Bugs Bunny. Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> see you, man. Uh, Greg Jennings. Okay, last thing that I'm going to say about this NFL weekend, then we'll take a quick break. So the Niners having Christian McCaffrey, it does change things. Because, like, they didn't have Debo this week, and they still racked up a ton of yards, a ton of points. And McCaffrey's making throws. Like, they just opened up the entire playbook for him. I still think Jimmy G is the kind of guy who, if you have to make a play and if you're playing from behind, he's not really going to be able to do it. But now, looking at it with Debo, McCaffrey, Auk, Kittle, boy, that's just so many weapons that it's kind of like the Dolphins situation. They're kind of Dolphins NFC where you go, yeah, I don't love the quarterback, and I like Tua more than I like Jimmy. Like this year, maybe not in the totality of their career, but there's just such easy outlets that you should be able to hang. Just don't fall behind massively in games. And if the defense can get healthy, I think the Niners are terrifying. Maybe they can't, maybe they're not Chiefs Bills level, but you cannot convince me that they face the Eagles in an NFC championship game or an NFC playoff game and the Niners are going to be some kind of long shot in that contest. As good as the Eagles look, and I'm in on the Eagles. I'm just saying that that Niners team right now, they look like the number two in the NFC. And then after that, I think it is the Seahawks. And after that, Vikings? I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of meh in the NFC right now. Certainly not the Rams, though, and that's where I was going to close. The Rams are dead, and I'm so so angry that they stole a Super Bowl because they did. They, they stole a Super Bowl. Let's just all admit it. Like they got so extremely lucky that they won that Super Bowl. Niners gave the game away and then they end up playing a Bengals team that's in over their heads that could have won either way. They got that incredible drive. They won because of Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is special. He won them a Super Bowl. Von Miller won them a Super Bowl, right? Aaron Donald. Those three guys were special players that made special plays for them to win. But here's what, what I'm pissed about. McVeigh, fraud. Not a, not, a, not a real guy. Like, you got to be kidding me. He's going to get this. He's going to dine out on that Super Bowl for his entire career. He should be in media right now. That's what he was supposed to be. McVeigh should be in media. And now forever he gets to be Super Bowl champion. And, I ha- like, we all have to live with that. And the other guy is the quarterback, Matthew Stafford. People go, the questions about Matthew Stafford have been answered. There will be no more debates about Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford sucks. Always has. Never been great. Made one awesome throw in the Super Bowl. Good for him. Going to dine out on it for the rest of his career. Sucks so bad that those two guys won Super Bowls. And now that we can't debate them because they won and people are going to use that chip as everything in the debate about McVay and Stafford's legacies. Both of those guys stink. Neither of those guys deserves a Super Bowl. They won it completely on the backs of a couple of superstar athletes in a fortunate, fortunate, fortunate year. You think they would have beat the Chiefs? Are you out of your mind? You think they would have beat the Bills? No, they would have got killed. And no, I'm not going to do this because everybody, you know, you can usually make a case for a team not doing this, but Stafford and McVay getting exposed this year was just so obvious to me. Like, and it won't change anything. And when Stafford goes in the Hall of Fame, just remember that I, I don't feel it. Anyways, quick break, then what we missed. Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
Again, thanks to our sponsors at DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Must be Ontario. And you got to play responsibly. So, yeah, thank you, DraftKings. Um, me and my boy Pete, Joe. Um, Joe got the old Halloween flu. Kid goes out to multiple parties. He's like, I'm at this party. I'm at this party. I'm at this party. In the group chats that he texts way too much. Like, I've never seen anybody who texts more, like, useless crap that I go, like, skip, 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 <laughs> skip, 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 skip. And then nothing. And then just, it's, it's a million texts that I skip from Joe. And then finally one where he goes, I'm sick again after drinking all weekend and hitting my vape harder than... Like, anybody hits anything. Anyways, um, thanks to Jobo. Once again, no show Jobo. That's your new nickname. Pete, what's up? Well, JD, uh, I support Joe not being here. Yeah, I know, because uh-huh. you two support each other in your fake sicknesses, like, constantly. I've, these guys are 21 and 26 years old, and genuinely, <laughs> they have not had one healthy day. If this is an ad for, like, don't let your kids have vapes, this is the number one ad for it, is these two guys not being able to get through a minute without coughing or being sick at 21 and 26. Going to the doctor today, though. Yeah, so I know. It's good. It's good. You know what? We're going to need an update. Like, yeah. full body scan, yeah. full EKG. Yeah. Pete's going to get right. <laughs> okay, so... At least um, you're tough. Over the weekend, Leafs played the Sharks. Uh, Unfortunately. Lost in overtime. Yeah. And They're good at losing to the bad teams in overtime. Yes. Yeah, yeah. they get the point. Curtis Pashelka, Sharks mm. beat reporter, uh, tweeted out that the Sharks were listening to the Leafs goal song, Hollow Notes, in the dressing room afterwards, after the win. Uh, what do you think this says about like the way the Leafs are perceived by other teams in the NHL? I, I think it's exactly what you think. Mm. I was worried you might say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, you know, people, they do that to teams you hate. Yeah. That's who was it? It was the, I think it was the Yankees that played Sweet Caroline in their locker room after beating the Red Sox a couple of years ago. Mm. This is what you do. By the way, that song just has to go. That song is now embarrassing. Like you get back home, other teams are using it against you because they're clowning on you, they're dunking on you. And again, this is such a thing where so you got dunked on by the San Jose Sharks. That report hits, and you don't show up like on fire for the next game and like you open yourself up to these criticisms. Yeah. The rest of the league thinks you guys are a joke. And Mm -hmm. that's been very clear for a very, very long time. Not a lot of guys around the league respect the Toronto Maple Leafs. Other organizations don't appear to overly respect them as a team. I don't think that their peers view them as I think that there's a little bit of jealousy from some guys probably around the league that the Leafs get so much attention and that they get so much love and that those guys have all the money and that they're in the in the epicenter. Like, I think that comes with being a Maple Leaf. But I also think that there is a little bit of an added layer of these guys lose every year and the rest of us don't get talked about at all. And these guys are constantly the point of discussion despite nothing happening. So, yeah. I think that a team like the Sharks had a little fun. You got to wonder if a guy like Barabanov was in there doing that. <laughs> Ryan he was like, yeah. no, well, no, Ryan's a sweetheart. Like, he would never. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, James Reiner is the sweetest guy on earth. He's not doing that. I could, here's what I can guarantee you. He was the guy that was like, oh, come on, guys, <laughs> at, at best. But no, that, I actually kind of wondered if that was Barabanov, if he kind of fired that one up after getting released. Uh, yeah, it's embarrassing. It's a tough one. And, yeah, if teams start to clown on you and dunk on you and you don't respond, I think that it's more even more embarrassing for you. What's next? 
Um, YouTube sensation. Me? J.D. Bunkus. Yeah. Good friend, Jake Paul, uh, oh, yeah. won by unanimous decision against Anderson Silva, 47-year-old Anderson Silva. Uh, Paul dropped him in the final round as well, eight-round event. And after the fight, Paul called out Nate Diaz and mm-hmm. uh, Canelo Alvarez, saying uh, he wants them next. Canelo Alvarez is genuinely one of the stupidest things he could ever say. Like, <laughs> the idea that he would box Canelo Alvarez is actually hilarious. Like, I, 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 I think Canelo Alvarez would legitimately beat Jake Paul with one hand to hide behind his back. Like, and I think he'd beat him sound. Mm. Like, I didn't watch that whole fight. This was my Jake Paul experience on Saturday night. I watched the Leafs. I did the Leafs talk, which, again, go subscribe, go review, go watch it. It's up on YouTube right now. Um, I, I went, oh, right, this is on. And I threw it on, and it was like the fifth round or whatever. Anderson Silva was hitting him pretty clean. Anderson Silva got knocked out by his sparring partner twice before that fight. Like, it seemed very, very preordained when Jake Paul went, if I win... I'll start a fight league where we could finally get guys paid. And if you win, I'll fight you in the octagon in a kickboxing match, which was strange, but whatever. Anderson Silva lost because he got knocked down late, but he gave Paul some punches. And Anderson Silva is a good boxer by MMA standards. But I don't know. There's a lot of casual fight fans out there. I get it. But I don't know how many more of these we need. Before people realize that, like, it's a huge skill set difference to be a boxer than an MMA fighter. Mm. Like, what, what are we doing here? How many more of these do we need before the public is just generally aware that this is the case? We're there, right? Are we there? No? How many more? One or two? If he steps in there with a real boxer, and I'm not talking about Tyson Fury's brother. Like, what's his name? Whatever. Tommy Fury. I'm not talking about like a partway guy. I'm talking about like a, like Canelo Alvarez is a champion. He would get eviscerated, destroyed, discombobulated, dismembered, whatever you want to say. It's over. Remember that, oh man, Max Kellerman had one of the worst takes ever, which was the, uh, and I love Max Kellerman and I understand what he trades in. There's no hate. But remember when he had the Conor McGregor won't touch Floyd Mayweather with a single punch. I was like, eh, he'll probably get one, Max. <laughs> and I know he was being hyperbolic. But that fight actually, when Floyd turned it on and went, no, now I'm going to try. And I probably bet on this round. <laughs> Let's be honest. So this is the one that I want to get it done in. There was a pretty wide divide. But either way, that's actually how I feel about Canelo versus Jake Paul. Like, I, I don't think that Jake Paul is putting any kind of damage on Canelo Alvarez. He's seen those punches come from a mile away. Do you think Jake Paul is good for boxing? Or do you think this is all, like, too much? It depends what you say, what your interpretation of it, right? Because, mm. it's like, I don't think Jake Paul is promoting any other fights. Like, I think this is foxy boxing. This is celebrity boxing. Yeah. Like, this is a different thing. This is a sideshow. Like, he's not a real champion. Do I respect what he's doing to a degree? Of course I do. He's stepping in the octagon. He's fighting Anderson Silva. He's taking punches from Anderson Silva. Like, I respect that. He's backing it up with some fights. Um, I'm not saying it's, you know, uh, like a bad for boxing, but I just don't think that they're in the same stratosphere. Like, I don't think Jake Paul's success breeds more interest in Deontay Wilder's next fight. Like, I I just don't think that those things are actually correlated. The interesting thing to me is if Jake Paul actually continues to do this, if he really does try to create some promotion. I think it's very hard to do. I think that the branding with the UFC is so deeply entrenched now and with their ESPN partnership that 
you're just not going to create something of real consequence or real significance. I don't think anyways, but it would be kind of cool to see Jake Paul continue to take guys out of the UFC, beat them. And then when they're done, get them to come in as business partners for something else and try to recruit the odd guy, try to put together promotions like this and maybe just steal the odd person from the UFC or put a little bit more pressure on the UFC to, to pay their guys. Like, I do think that there could be something to that, but I don't know if it's about a boxing thing either way. Um, Good for Jake Paul winning. I wasn't overly, uh, as George St. Pierre said to me, I was not impressed by your performance. I feel the same way watching that where, yeah, all right, it was okay. I wasn't overly impressed. Um, If you fight Diaz, I think he'll beat you. And I actually think that (laughs) Canelo Alvarez is the funniest thing ever. Like if I was Canelo, I'd be like, See, <laughs> right away, like I want the money. Like that's gonna be a beatdown. Anyways, what's next? Uh, World Series game three tonight. Series is tied one one. Yes, pretty good weekend for baseball. One of the highlights for the Phillies so far, Nick Castellanos. Yeah, uh, played really well in game two. Poor game Nick Castellanos. One. He's just always gonna be that that meme. No, it's just every time anyone yeah. messages him, you hear it in your head. Yeah. But uh, game one, after game one, after the Phillies beat the Astros, yeah. uh, he lifted his shirt. Yeah, he sure Kind of mocking. Jose Altuve wearing a wire back in the World Series back in the day. Yeah, what I, I think it's awesome because I'm I'm kind of stealing this from somebody. I was oh no, it was Bill Burr. I was listening to Bill Burr on a podcast this oh, yeah, weekend, yeah. and he was talking about how hey, can we at least mention the cheating? And I was like, yeah, he's right. We've gotten to a point with the Astros where just because they've gotten back there, now we're going like, and now you can't even mention. No, we should still mention it. And I thought that Castellanos doing that was pretty badass. Yeah. I think he's like, yeah, guess what? We want to beat these cheaters. We don't want to be the team that like puts them over and, and validates them. And like, I'm all in on the Phillies to the point where Friday night when I was at the bar and they came back, I was doing like screaming in the bar. <laughs> like, like I was clapping. I was just, let's go Phils. Like I'm in on the Phillies. I'm in on the Phillies. Like all the way. There is no question my allegiance here. Last year, I was rooting for the Astros. I really was. I went, you know, well, it was fun to cheer for the villain. I didn't care for the Braves. I didn't want mm. I didn't want Alex Anthopoulos to get his ring and then have it be just, you know what I mean? I, oh, I root okay. against the exes. Okay, I, don't, I don't cheer for the exes. I root against. I'm not ashamed to admit that. But I'm all in on the Phils. I love this Phillies team. They are fun as hell. And I can't get over how Kyle Schwarber was almost a Blue Jay and that they were hot and heavy for him and that they went hard for him and just couldn't get there with the money. Speaking of deals that didn't mm-hmm. happen. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle reporting that in 2018. Good name, Chandler Rome. Chandler Rome, yeah, yeah, good name, yeah. Hot name. Kind of a porn star name, but yeah, go on. <laughs> the Astros had a deal in place with the Nationals uh-huh. to trade, I don't want to be mean, but like four or five nobodies <laughs> to the Nationals <laughs> yeah, no, for Bryce accurate. Harper. No, read the names. Uh, Abraham Toro, yeah. Randy Caesar, no. Josh James, no. J.B. Bukoskis, and Kent Emanuel, and I think uh, Josh James is the only one still in the majors. No, Abraham Toro's in the majors. Oh, really? Still plays for the Mariners, yeah. But, oh, my uh, apologies. My apologies. No, it's all good, but yeah, that's but a But the deal trade. was nixed by the Nationals owner. Yeah. Uh, guess what? Nationals owner, good look for you. Tough look for your general manager who's like, uh, did I almost trade Bryce Harper away for uh, 70 games a year of uh, Abraham Toro? Oof. <laughs> like, yeah, man. But you know what the, the lesson here is? Two, what, two things. One is that Pete is real harsh. Call him nobodies. You know how I swear to Yeah. Uh, that nobody gang is exactly why you trade prospects for the love of God. Please, Blue Jays, just keep trading the prospects away. If you've got an awesome team and there's awesome players out there, this was the whole Juan Soto thing. Like, who cares about what Ricky Tiedemann might be? 
he still might be. If you can go get studs like Bryce Harper level studs, and I'm not talking about like trade your prospects away from middling dudes. I'm saying bona fide stud players. Good teams move chips in to get that done. And hopefully the Jays continue to do that. Although I don't know what they really have down on the farm left. It seems like they have one or two guys. Anyways, thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow on Twitter and Instagram at JD Bunkus. Hit me up anytime. Talk to you tomorrow.